Alright, so just kind of where where this is going is there's a lot of different kinds of equipment now. Okay, we've got specialized equipment, we've got um, you know, just a lot of different pieces of equipment that have unique applications to them that we have to make sure we're protecting ourselves as well as our customers and everything is documented. What, what we found is in a lot of different scenarios across, you know, locations is the assumption is this part is covered, we're doing this, we're not doing this. And so we want to keep everything on one in one spot so we're all doing the same thing. Um, I've been kind of tasked to, to work with um, Kelly and Charles and we're looking at what are some standardized terms and condition or provisions, if you will, that we need to include on page two of the agreement. Page two is special provisions Special conditions of special services and provisions. There you go. So right now, everybody should have Total Comfort Solutions will perform quarterly preventive maintenance on the systems comprised in the equipment schedule or something along those lines, and that's typically it. Um, well, I have a whole you, long list of things that I put. In there. Do you typically have to put something in there for filters? Because our contract says nothing about filters, and I typically put that. So in that provisions page. in that provisions page sh should say quarterly preventive maintenance and filter changes on the equipment listed. Yeah, but you got that we put in. But you got to spell out. But you got to spell out, and that goes back to I'll use I'll pull my computer up here in a second if you want me to. And say what I what my my verbiage is, and it doesn't always have to be quarterly. Sometimes it's monthly. Sometimes yep. it's, I mean I got it's, it every two weeks. But um, oh, my point is, you folks do yeah, address yeah, it. Don't, don't worry about it, Garson. I don't want to get in the weeks because we're going to go over this, and then we're going to be able to, you know, if you want to send that to me, we can look it over and see if, yeah how we want to incorporate because we got some stuff in here. The key is is we can't, Garson. You can't do it the way you do it in Augusta, and. You know, Justin, you can't do it how you want to do it in Myrtle Beach, and I can't do it how I want to do it in Charleston. We've got to have some consistencies because the expectation is what we're doing on a delivery standpoint in Charleston has to be the same what we're doing in Charlotte, whatever else. And this is kind of where it spells that out. So, and we can kind of, you know, go through this, but... Um, ERV, we talked about those earlier, energy recovery ventilators, kind of specialized piece of equipment, a lot of moving parts, some are covered, some are not. Um, I kind of went over some of the pictures of some of the reasons, you know, it's obviously a self-cleaning wheel, it's constantly rotating, things like that. You know, what we're looking at putting is in the provisions page, you know, ERV desiccant wheels not covered under the GPM due to the self-cleaning nature of the wheel operation. So we're gonna come up with the verbiage of replacement or cleaning of the entity wheels is not covered in the agreement, whatever it is. I bring all this up because when you're doing a survey, this is where you gotta find you, this is how you've gotta know if it's got that. When you go to a big unit that looks a little bit unique and kind of different, you gotta open panels. You gotta you gotta open doors, you gotta open panels, you gotta you gotta know what's on the inside. 
you, you, you don't want to get all the information and then get back to the office and then look through your picture and realize, hey, it says right here it's got desiccant wheel in there and realize you only have one set of filters. And now you got an ERV, you've got filtration coming in both directions. And typically, if it's a big unit, it's on both sides of the cabinet. You have filters on one side and filters on the other side. So as you're learning, as you're going through it, you gotta open panels. You gotta, you know, turn the unit off. You gotta open stuff up. You got, you gotta learn it. Um, Kent, Kent, that picture that you sent way back, can you talk about opening panels, turning units off? And you were clearly showing there was too much slack in that belt. Was that exhaust hand turned off? Yeah, and there was a little switch. Okay. Yeah, I don't put my hands on a belt, but I know the unit's not on. Okay. I have all my digits. That was, I was wondering about After 20 some years, I still have all 10 digits for a reason. <laughs> um, mm. and, and we all know that, you know, we've all, we all have to give our service managers about safety, right? We gotta know how properly to, dis, you know, to, to de-energize equipment. We gotta know how to open panels on the supply side and return side. You know, it's the supply side of the system, and that unit's on, you open that panel, typically you'll notice, especially if it's a louver, it'll have a, a little safety mechanism, but if it doesn't, that panel's gonna hit you in the face. And if it's on the return side, and it's, you know, under some high static, you know, you're gonna get some leverage to get that thing off. And don't get your fingers between the cabinet and, and the door. On the way back. Or else you may be yeah. stubby. You, you've got to be cognizant of what you're doing. You gotta, if you can shut the equipment off, whenever whenever I'm doing my action plan, and I'm talking about the assessment, I'm, I ask him right then and there. During my assessment, I'm gonna be turning some equipment off. Is there anything that I, you know, that you know that I can't shut off? Or when I'm meeting with the maintenance guy to do the survey, can you please shut off this piece of equipment? Let him do it. Can you please remove this panel? Let him do it. Um, and when you're, you know, when you're talking to the, the decision maker, you need to do a survey. You got to let them know. Say, is there a guy you can stay with me that, that, that will be capable of shutting equipment off, accessing panels, things like that? Put the right, put the responsibility on them. Um, last thing you want to do is be up on a, you know critical piece of equipment or whatnot or, a, or a, a place that's got high safety records and you're up there shutting off equipment someone goes up there and says what are you doing mm -hmm. you can't shut that off you know you're not in the right ppe things like that that'll get us in trouble big time so make sure you're talking no, to your no. service listen to what he just said about that and pay attention to it i know different offices have you know you're you're, you're talk to different ways about assessments and opening up pieces of equipment, you ultimately need to understand what's going on up there with that piece of equipment. And also know that yeah. sometimes they're tied into the fire panel. You shut off a piece of equipment, the fire won't go off. Yeah. And, and I, I just emphasize what Kent said about getting with your service manager, about safety, and about what you need to understand about those pieces of equipment and shutting off and all that. So. Man, that's you. Gosh, you need to pay attention to that part of it, and don't. That's more. Also, this is more industrial. It can be others also, but more industrial. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's, a, it, it's applicable to the to the prospect, right? But here's the big deal. You've got to get a look at that equipment. You've got to take panels off. 
You can't just go by, get all the model serial number of it, put your hand above there, everything's running, take a picture of, you know, a P-trap, take a picture of an outdoor air thing. You've got to get your story. We just went over all things that tells our story. Very little of those things as you can see from outside of the unit. You gotta open it up. It was really interesting. We were on top of McLeod Hospital last week. Yeah, it was last week. And uh, most of the exhaust fans on top of the hospital had biohazard. So I don't know what room they were doing whatever from, but I mean, there's a lot of danger in this as well. Most of us are doing surveys with technicians, right? Not always. Mm -hmm. I've never done a survey with a technician in my entire life. Now that's why certain offices are. You've got to, you've got to give it a service manager. Obviously, if you're not comfortable of going up, turning units off yet, right? Yet. Now, Christy won't let the Columbia guys go do surveys without a technician. My technician is oh, extremely I, valuable for me. I mean, I learn every time. Stuff, I'll take a technician, but for the most part, I've. I've graduated doing them alone okay. yeah but, so, but if I'm going up on a big industrial I'm like I'm going to take somebody with me yeah. just in and, case and, 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 but yeah. most of the time I'm going to run by myself and we can we can on, on another time we can get more into doing the surveys and conducting the survey because it is, is an important part of it um, but in order to know about a lot of these things you got to know what the units are right? yeah. you got to know what's in there so other things we're talking about um, large multi-rib belts on GPMs a multi-rib belt is would apply to very large air handlers. Like that picture of that pulley that was on top of that air handler, you notice it was looked like four pulleys in one. That's a multi-rib belt. And some cases are all individual belts. In other cases, it's one belt. That one belt can be several hundred dollars. Cooling towers are notorious mm -hmm. for a rib belt. Again, those belts typically don't have to be replaced um, very often, but when they do, they're expensive. Communicate with your service manager. If, if every belt in there is a rib belt, yeah, mate, let them know. Hey, these five air handlers have a rib belt. Um, right here, belts covered under C2 agreements after replacement of non-covered belts, pulleys, once they have been identified as needing replacement. Are you saying these are exclusions? Belts are covered under a C2 agreement okay. after replacement of non-covered belt pulleys once they have been identified as new replacement. Okay. Um, right here, as long as the service manager can price in the cost of the large belts prior to a sale, there's no issue. We should be replacing water sheaves on the fix-up anyways, um, so we'd be getting the time out of them. This should read as whatever. So, we got to know. We got to know what we're doing. We got to communicate that to the service manager. Everybody that has, you're in price builder, right? You're under a piece of equipment, whether it's a package unit, whether it's an air handling system, there's always a place in there for comments. If you noted that it's a rib belt or, you know, or whatever it is, make a note right there. Just so you remember it. You know, when you're taking pictures of stuff, you know, rib belt, you know, BFDs, what, what, whatever it is for your for your comments. Uh, micro channel coils. So it's been around for a while now, but ultimately the manufacturers have come up with a different design and coils to help improve efficiencies. 
batteries. Typical older coils, like you'll see, will be a essentially a copper tube with aluminum fit. Okay, those typically, you know, they're thicker coils. Um, airflow passes through them, you know, a little bit slower rate. The new channels, the new coils are called micro-channel coils. Typically the coils are a lot thinner. It's one continuous piece of metal. So it's all, there's not two different bimetals. Um, the airflow going through those is, is like a whirlwind. When you stand up close to a micro-channel coil, you'll feel the air blowing across you. Mm -hmm. They get dirty quick. You can wash a coil and a month later can look like it was never been touched. So be aware of that, especially during during surveys. You can't use chemical on them. So they, so they can get dingy looking even if they're clean. Yeah. So now when, when you just said micro-channel coils will somehow bring in air at a greater force than the traditional? It, the, the, the fans on them yeah. move air through those a lot faster. Cool. I didn't know that. Yep. So, whenever we have micro-channel <laughs> coils, we need to include cleaning those at least twice a year. Okay? In Price Builder, under air handler or condensers, whatever else, it says second cleaning. you got to check yes. Chillers, package units, DOAS units, anytime you see a micro-channel coil. If you don't know if it is or not, take a picture of it and get verification. You'll be able to tell because a, a regular coil is a one solid piece of aluminum fin. They're all just fins. Micro-channel coils look like your radiator on your car. Okay. Yes, yeah. much tighter, smaller. Yeah, it's all a bunch of just little radiator type. Like honey coil working things, yeah. Once you see them once, you'll know the difference. Yep. Um, Do they look blue? No. That's cleaning them twice they're black. Right? Typically they're black. Um, most of the time we're going for it. Most of the time with water. Vibration analysis. Really Covered under the GPM annually for any centrifugal motor or any motor over 100 horsepower. Okay. When you're, when you're doing a survey and you've got chill water pump condenser water pump that's 100 horsepower or greater, you gotta make sure you make note of that and we're gonna perform a vibration analysis on that. So in the provisions page, you need to make sure vibration analysis is included, okay? Obviously anything, you got a centrifugal motor, centrifugal chiller, things like that, we won't cover under a G unless we're doing a vibration analysis. All right, so how are y'all doing that? So Kelly's getting with, um, I think it was Scott or Mike or one of the guys that have bought a piece of equipment that they he's pretty sure does the vibration analysis, um, but it's ultimately it's for a risk. Right? We've got to perform that. Well, I'll get with Kelly. They have a sensor. Now it was two years ago the AHR, and I got something last month or two months ago. Um, they're available now. You can put sensors on them and it goes to an app on your phone. You don't even have to have a vibration company come anymore. Yeah, and then I think it was something like that. So he, he's looking into how it's going to be the most cost-effective way for us to do that. But, you know, we got to make sure that we're writing it in there because we got to make sure that the operations department knows we've got to perform that. Only on motors 100 horsepower and greater? Or any motor over 100 horsepower. 
or okay so anything with centrifugal and anywhere yes. over 100 yep are you going to address oil analysis in there it should be in here okay um any current not covered under the EPM. whoops okay so for those that don't know, anytime you've got a centrifugal unit where you've got a chiller barrel, <coughs> which essentially are a whole bunch of little small long rods of water that flows through a barrel, they've got to be able to detect the, the diameter of those tubes. That process is called an eddy current test. It's a piece of it's a specialized deal. Um, anytime we've got a centrifugal chiller, We've got to have documentation of that eddy current test being performed in the last three years. We don't cover that under the agreement. If it hasn't been done, then we will need to, you know, as a, as a side project or whatever else, we will need to perform an eddy current test and that'll have to be approved before that GPM can be covered. Can we do the eddy current test in-house? No, we have to use TAI services out of Atlanta. Okay. And they're right here. John is there a reason we spot. don't include it in, like, say we sell, okay, is it because it doesn't need to be done every We do them every, every three years. years. It needs to be done every three That's years. Right. So why would you include it in the That's right. Okay, yep, exactly. And and that, when, when you look at a lot of this stuff, the reason why we don't include this, the, you know, a lot of stuff is because we would have to put all that money in the agreement and all of our agreements are typically annually. You know, if we did three year, five year contracts, whatever else, you know, it'd be a different story, but most of ours are done annually. So that's why it's because we want to be able to not have a whole bunch of fluff in our contracts if it's not needed. Um, VRV and VRF. So essentially, a, a VRV is a variable refrigerant volume unit or variable refrigerant flow is a unit that can simultaneously heat and cool. They're very prominent in hotels. They're becoming more prominent in retrofit applications for um, rooms that have a lot of different spaces. So when you look at a VRF unit, it's essentially, it looks like a big square that has a big fan on the top and you'll have multiple copper lines coming out of it. When you go to the inside and looking around, it looks just like a mini split. You've got either a wall cassette unit, you've got a unit that's up in the ceiling cassette, and there's multiple of those attached to one condenser. Um, you've got a lot of refrigerant pipe that goes through the buildings. You've got, um, you know, those are very critical based on how they are installed. So, VRV VRF should not be covered under GPM because we have no way. Well, we're working on this. Okay, I've tasked the service managers to find a way we can cover this because they're out there. It's coming. They're it, it's especially with the, with the new EPA, you know, efficiency regulations. A VRF is is a shoe in. Well, we used to cover them, Kent, and we've got a bunch of them. And the problem is. And we're going to have to figure it out because like now, Mitsubishi, for example, you're, the codes aren't published. Even the guys that's been the training, you can't plug in and even know what the codes mean. You have to call help desk, right? Yeah. Well, for example, Rudy sat on a bucket for six hours 
last month mm-hmm. waiting on them them to call back you can't leave the site so how do we build and how do you put that in a gpm when your guys is sitting on a bucket for six hours mm-hmm. only to find out that he's now got to tear the unit apart and remove all the refrigerant and everything else to do the work right yep. so and then you got to get back on the phone with them again which is another six or eight hour process it used to be it was a 30 minute process now yeah. it's an all-day deal so that's why they don't want to cover that yeah, well, they're, they're and we're going to have a hard time billing back to our customers for that too. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're one. Well, they're a different animal. Two, there's, you know, Garson brought the point is it's not like a typical AC unit where you use some cooling, superheat, and charge it. You've got to recover all the refrigerant out. You got to weigh the refrigerant. It's a killer in time. Yep. Um, design. A lot of the current issues go back to how they were installed. Design issues installation issues which you know we can't be responsible for but we end up taking spending a ton of time before we identify that it's a design problem so stay tuned on on that part of it um magnetic bearing chillers only covered under a gpm with third-party insurance so we now as a company are are under captive so we're self-insured so for those that don't know captives, but essentially we insure ourselves, we allocate, you know, that funds into an account and then we pretty much pay ourselves if there's an issue. Um, so anytime we have, you know, a big screw chiller or centrifugal chiller, things like that, we're pretty much insuring that under that captive and that and then is built back to the contracts. Well, with Mag- that, that process is capped. I think it's like $7,000 or whatever else. Um, magnetic bearing chillers, they're not very prominent out there. Mainly as governments like people that can afford them because they're god-awfully expensive, but they are very efficient. But if we ever have a magnetic bearing chiller, that has to be insured through a third party. We just ran into one at Coyo. That's why. And we basically said we're not going to cover this. Yeah. Plus, it's just so costly to cover these chillers. Anyhow, we're able to sell a contract with covering all the DX as a G and the two chillers as a C. Yeah. We got Hopefully. stuck with like 50 grand Hopefully. or something like that yeah. on a replacement of one. And so we got bit. Same, so with the, same with the trifles. We had to replace the trifical chiller. Is that, 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 College? Is that what we did there? I don't know all the specifics Oof. of all of them. But essentially, you know, we smoke, just, we you know, we got to make that. sure, you know, again, if you go to a chiller and the thing is running and you can sit there and like, you know, hear yourself talk, whatever else, Hmm. something different right take pictures of stuff because obviously it's a different kind of piece of equipment and may have a magnetic bearing compressor because all that is is that bearing is using a magnetic field to spin so there's no friction there's no you know it's not like it's needing all this horsepower to burn to their crank it's just sitting there just like just spin it um no coverage for chillers using r717 which is ammonia Anytime you go into a mechanical room, whatever else, if there's ammonia, you'll see ammonia signs in places. Uh, <coughs> ammonia displaces oxygen and will kill you, so it's a big deal. Uh, for heat transfer, we will not cover chillers used to cool ammonia process, provided we do not have to come in contact with the ammonia, high risk. Okay, so there are ammonia processes, okay, where especially on, on low temp stuff. Food production, food. you know, if it's low temp, 
food, you know, food storage kind of places. They've got ammonia chillers that will provide the cooling for that piece of equipment whatnot. Sometimes you'll have a big chiller that will condition the space or the areas where that's in. As long as we're not coming into contact with that ammonia process or that ammonia chillers, we're covered. If it's attached to the ammonia system, we will not. We won't work in it at all, right? Even as a C2. No. Yeah, it's yeah. We, we can't. We can't. Yeah, touch we, it. we run from it. We just don't do ammonia. A lot of those food places, at least the ones that I run into, have their own in-house team that handles their ammonia. Yeah. yeah. And so you kind of what you do is you want to supplement on the on the DX side of the house. Yep. And kind of let their team handle their ammonia stuff, and um, and then we'll. There's there's off. there's like but it's three in the southeast that do ammonia, and and we're not one of them. So yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Just, we stay away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Stellar is probably the best group in the entire southeast. They are Stellar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no coverage for high pressure boilers. <laughs> this is defined as having a max allowable working pressure MAWP of 15 psi or higher. So, <clears throat> boilers, right? We don't expect everybody in here to know exactly a high pressure, low pressure boiler. If there's questions, take a picture of the name tag. On the name tag, will tell you what operating pressure that, that boiler is to see if it's a high pressure or low pressure. If you got questions, call your service manager, shoot in pictures, um, make sure that they're you know, on board with what you got so we can, we can find out if it's something we can cover or not. Generally, if it makes hot water for your air conditioning, it's fine, I mean, for your air, yeah. it's fine. It's, yeah. But if it's making it for the plant, it's typically not. So that's generally, if it's making steam, you certainly don't want to do well, it. That ties back into the breakers resort, you know, when there was a question about the boilers to begin with, because they don't typically have people that have come to address that. You just need to make sure, you know, what type of boiler it is and what the uh, in, intention is. If but, I'm not mistaken, in Greenville, we just don't work on boilers unless they're smaller ones, you know, 50 horsepower or less, smaller. Uh, it's up to your service manager and your current capabilities. You don't have guys that can work on them. Right. Last thing we want to do is come into a contract, say, "Oh yeah, we can take care. We you know, we're taking care of all the stuff, and we can take care of your boilers, right. and we stub our toe in the boilers. We're done. Yeah, yeah we've got a lot to lose. Yeah. So we just got to know our lane, stay in our lane. There's absorbers up there too, because yeah. I know that we don't. I know that we don't take care of absorption chillers. I I, I know that. I don't think we have a. <clears throat> when Tate Turner was here, I asked him would he touched one, and he said. He used a, some colorful language, pretty much telling me no. <laughs> as far as Columbia's market goes, um, you know, I've got a little column on my spreadsheet of prospects because I want to know if they have a boiler or chiller because to me that's a, I want to start talking about those a lot quicker. Um, my first maintenance agreement was a C2 where they had five boilers um, for a nursing home and there were only a few people that could work on them. So it was... And the guy they were using had horrible uh, accounting problems. And so they'd get a quote, and it was not what the guy quoted him. It was just easy to come in because we had all the back systems in place to, to help him with that. But I, I'm trying to go after all the people in our area with boilers. Yeah. <laughs> that seems well, you, like you, you've got to know your capabilities, right? You've got to communicate to a service manager because the last thing we want to do is overcommit, underdeliver. Mm. If we know we can't do something, let's not make a big deal about it. Let's keep our story, keep our business case on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, if we get to a place that, you know what, my problem is my boilers. If we can't do it, then 
we need to best save face and say, listen, that's not really, I don't think we'd be the best fit for you. And then you just got to kind of. Well, we've got out. a good relationship with the Bowler Company. I think yeah. we have a green bowl. Yeah, we, partners. We, we do, but we just got to. Yeah. But we also want to make sure when we're having our discussions of, you know, where is our best case? Mm-hmm. Because if we just say, oh, yeah, add that, include that, include that, add that, we got to have justification, right? I mean, if we're, if we're going to be doubling the equipment, you know, instead of a $30,000 contract, it's going to be a $60,000 contract. If we don't have a business case for a $60,000 contract, adding that stuff may kill the deal. Mm-hmm. And if we get it, we can always add it you know, down the road when and if that becomes critical or whatever else, but you got to kind of stick to where the problems. I understand that on the front end. Yeah, 100%. And have that discussion on the front end. Yeah. Because if you don't have a discussion on the front end, you go through your whole verification, you're going through the equipment list, they're like, well, hey, where are my boilers? Where is this? Where is that? All of a sudden, all that conversation you had is kind of wasted because it's not complete. You know, there's, and, and, you know, again, going back into the survey, but you've got to have a method of how you perform your surveys. I always start outside. Once they start walking me through and say, oh, yeah, here's an air handler. Let's go over here. There. Then you go to the roof and you're just like, oh, she got any, where's that piece for that? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very systematic. I start up and I work down outside. And then I know it because whether it's a package unit or a split system or, you know, any kind of equipment, there's typically always something outside mm-hmm. associated to that. If you see a big cooling tower, nothing else, you know, you know what? I probably have a lot of large source heat pumps. Or I may have some self-contained units, so I need to be prepared that, hey, there's probably one of these on every area of the floor or the building or whatever else you know you get all the right equipment. Or it could just be process. It could be process. And we all we do is service the tower if that's what we want right yeah i kind of know so you start at the top then you work your way down start outside then work and that's me because i've got i've got to be systematic if i like go over here and do that and do that and go over here and a lot of times if you're if you're relying on the maintenance guy to kind of show you around you're you, you know you're you're the tail of the dog oh you go get lost and he's taking you all over and you're just like jesus like well you if we looked at that and we looked at like you know then you're back in your office trying to put all this shit together and you're just like Oh, and you can miss where stuff. was that unit or I don't know if I include that like why do I is it that I've got 10 condensers but only you know 7 air handlers yeah. you know because you went from here to here to here up here down here like I've got to keep my stuff straight so I can okay that was here so on that side of the building there should be a big air handler over here somewhere oh yeah you're right it's over in here okay that makes sense for people that are just starting out with surveying, do you have any kind of list or checklist to follow? Yep. Yep. So we've got survey sheets. And, and everybody's um, survey packets, I don't know if that actually you may you may not have that yet, but I always recommend when you're for, when you're new to surveys, bring a survey sheet, bring a survey book. It'll take What's surveys a survey will take book? where it has every piece of equipment. If it has like a pump, if it has an air handler, if it has a package unit of all the specific components that are required for never pricing seen, of that equipment. I've never seen that. Never, 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 seen seen never heard of such a thing. Is it like the pages that you have and you can like write yeah, it in there? That's right. I know what it is. I've never heard, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I'll have like EVAP fans, horsepower, <laughs> condenser fans, horsepower. You got your tats, Charles. 
That should be... Well, it's essentially printed off from the old... Price Builder. Price Builder. Yep. No, not Price Builder. Uh, it was Genesis Maintenance Pricing. Yeah, I think they've got Price Builder sheets now. Yeah, so yes, they, they do. So you could get the Price Builder sheets that basically it's the information that you log into Price Builder. Price Builder. You have them in sheet form, and you can, while you're at the survey, instead of just taking a data tag and going to Google, when you get back, or you're taking notes, you can fill it out there on the spot. That would be nice. Oh, that's the holy oh. sheets. We have those. Yeah, those exist. Yeah. So what it does is it gets you in a habit of getting all the right information. Um, you know, other parts when we're you know when we're out, uh, not only on on the provisions page, but VFDs. You you need to spend time with your service manager to know what a VFD is. We're gonna start seeing them on condenser fans. Okay. I told Kelly that we should and. We were going to have a conversation. He said we were going to have this conversation today, and he wanted me to get with you. Um, I, we are of the mindset now that I don't think we should cover those under AG, any VFD. Well, we, we, we have conversations, but regardless, in pricing, it's it's you got to fill it out. Yes. So you need to know when you see a pump, you know, there's a couple pumps, whatever else, it'll say... Uh, you know, a hot water pump or a chill water pump, whatever, you need to look around the wall for a drive. If it's got a drive on it somewhere on the wall, you're gonna see a pretty good sized drive that'll have, you know, the megahertz, whatever readout on it. So you gotta know, hey, that pump has got a drive, that does not, things like that. But but on the air conditioning stuff now, there's a lot of units and you're aware, when you open up the electrical panel, You'll have a VFD that'll be about this big. So you, not all VFDs are big, but you're going the yep. ones for condenser fan motors and some of your smaller motors are going to be, you know, this big. And if you don't put that in there and it fails, those little jokers cost about four to six hundred bucks. Maybe not quite that much. But, but don't even like split systems like the five ton split. That did also have a variable. So that's called an ECM motor. Okay. Um, which, yes, is essentially like a, a variable speed. Uh, it, it's not just a straight-up standard motor. It's, it, and you'll see it because when you look at the air handler, you know, you've got your scroll cage, you've got the end of your motor, and you got kind of a little extended, bigger piece. On VRF units, you look at the condenser fan motor, Liebert units, crack units, you'll see there's a bigger end bell, if you will, kind of on the motor that looks different. That different looking is an ECM component or a drive. And those ECM motors, you need to, we need to note those and give those to our, when we're pricing stuff on G's, we're going to get back pricing that's going to look absorbent if we let them know that those are there. And they, because a normal motor costs 350 to 400 bucks, an ECM motor costs 1800 bucks. And the ECM motors are really not what they are all cracked up to be. Yeah. So, so and they're failing very quickly and they're very expensive. And they're a pain in the ass to change. Do you have to go back with an ACM? Yes. ECM, yeah. Yes, you do. Yep. So, um, we're, we're covering this, we're going through it because it's, it's obviously it's awareness, right? When we're there doing surveys, our agreements are only as good as the information as in them. Um, other things that we got to take note of, and if we're, you know, covering exhaust fans, for an example, and they're 20 feet in the air, we got to ask, 
do you have equipment to access this? Oh yeah, we've got a forklift with a basket on it, whatever else. Make note of that. That needs to be captured in the provisions page. List provided by customer. Or, nope, you know what, you guys will need to provide that. Okay, so how can we get a lift here? Do you have a loading dock? Do you have a ramp? Can we receive it? Okay. That note has to go in there because those things are $200 delivery fee and $250 a day. Yeah, so I mean, we, we, we've got a lift we can use, but we have a trailer. So if all they have is a loading dock, we can't get the trailer loading dock. So we got to rent you know, one that, that can back it up, whatever else. So you got to make note in that provisions page, lift, you know, servicing of fans annually will lift will be included so they know hey if there's a service call on that that lift's not covered or if it is covered it is covered or if they're providing the lift we got to make sure that we understand that because if you're on site oh you know what actually we got electricians here they're using our lift you need to bring your lift that's fine they're going to get billed for that's good um safety stuff Safety is a big deal in these industrial plants. When you're at, when you're in servicing an air handler, okay, if we've got to barricade off the ground, if we've got if it's a medical building, we gotta like build a tent before we can pull out ceiling tiles, whatever else. We've got to know that. We gotta know if we've got to have a safety guy there for a fire watch. We gotta know if we gotta have a guy holding a ladder if it's anything over four to six feet in the air. We gotta make sure that you know. During repairs, the second man is included, or if an emergency is needed, a second man is not included in the agreement. If we need to have two guys are covered, we gotta let service managers know, hey, when we're on the roof, we gotta have a second guy. We gotta have a watch. We gotta have whatever it is that's gonna add cost, labor to the contract. Um, fire watches is a big one. Hey, if we're in there providing, we gotta get a hot work permit, do you require a fire watch? We do, but we provide that. Great. Firewalks we provided by customer. Because when we get there, if they're like, you know what, that guy's out, you need to provide your firewatch. We gotta document that because they're gonna need a bill for that time. Um, what are some other big ones that y'all are seeing? I think you covered a lot of them. You know, some some places require two guys on the roof at all times, so you got those. Um, where was I? I had to wear a harness. I had to wear a harness on a survey. You know, let just but just letting the guys know that you know you got to have like you can hook in. You got to wear that when you're on the roof, part of their safety precautions. I don't know if you have to write that in your special services or provisions. Yeah, you do. But you got to you know you got them to know that you know hey you got to hook you gotta hook in. Where, where's water access? You know, where, if there's yeah. not water access on the roof, you know always you, uh, yeah that's always look big, for that one of the biggest things that can be fund it, yeah. a nightmare. <laughs> And that stuff we gotta communicate to the service manager because he has to know if we gotta if we gotta freaking run two hundred feet of hose yeah. to mm -hmm. get water up to the roof, whatever else, mm -hmm. well you, that presents a couple problems, right? It presents an issue because it's a lot of time to do that. Secondly, we're gonna may not have enough water pressure. So now maybe we need to do something different with some kind of a booster pump to be able to get enough water pressure. Mm -hmm up to the roof, across the roof, to be able to really be able to clean the stuff we gotta do. Yeah, so well, knowing things. the PPE, getting the PPE yeah. list is, if just just be mindful. When you're doing your survey, 
if they make you wear something weird, just ask. Well, I had to wear it once, and it was yeah, it was one time. Right. I mean, so. like, like I've had some places that required the foamy glasses, and I've had you know, there's places where you got to wear a hard hat all the time. You just got to note that stuff so you're, if you do get the agreement. You know, the, the technicians are aware before they show you up. You had that conversation time. and now start a meeting, right? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're communicating stuff to the operations side. Hey, we got to have, you know, harnesses. We got to have, you know, when you get to a parking spot, you got to back <clears throat> into the parking spot. Like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so we don't stub our toes. Right. It, 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 it makes so. it seamless for the guys. They appreciate not getting chastised. And then if they got something weird they got to buy, they need to know on the front side. Like the foamy glasses at Owens Corning, you know. Josh had to buy cases of those. Make sure everybody had them because you never know when somebody's got to run over there, and you don't want to be the technician that shows up and goes, "Man, I don't have the right safety glasses." Then you're embarrassed, right? So, yeah. one of the other things that ties back into the the special provisions and services scope, you know, that Kent was going through. Once we get agreement on what all that is, um, we're going to be uh, creating snippets and post builders so that you know you can go in, copy paste up into the template that and, and we're going to get ABM to help us with that but once we get all that set up that's going to be in there mm-hmm. so that you know you're not having to manually you know do this and that you're just able to throw your copy and paste and right now that's one of the big reasons that we're doing it is to you know provide that kind of efficiency mm-hmm. for you guys and what you're doing on the because it takes so much time anyway um, for all that so that's one of the big things that we're, this is going to be a takeaway. Yeah. yeah. So a, a big thing is, is we just got to realize that, you know, we're, we're the initial eyes and ears on the site. And the more information that we gather and we put together and communicate with the service managers, the less we're having to go back to the customer and explain, you know what, we need to add that or we're not including that. Because that's, that can create the initial concern of like okay well what else are you not going to cover what else are you come back to me with and that's never really a good way to get a contract started it just it starts getting off on the wrong foot you know with the hey we're not covering the cleaning of these blower wheels because of the condition well we knew they were in bad condition but because we didn't talk about it up front now it's an issue it comes across as nickel and diamond yeah that exactly and that's a big part of you know we do startups and fix-ups is you know, we don't want to come across as we're nickeling and diamond the customer of we're not including that, we need a bill for this, we need to do this and do that. So um, the more communication, the more information, the more thorough we are on assessments of asking all the questions of the requirements, the better we can keep that closed up. And ultimately it creates for a much better performing agreement, which is a win-win. You know, the customers are going to be happy because we're covering that. We've got that documented. We've got it included. Um, the other part is and the service managers are going to be able to um, manage the agreements properly and have the right hours to allocate to the PMs. So the idea and intent of all this, obviously, is to help to create a better business case you know, to the business manager. And that's, you know, where all of this needs to be channeled too uh, you know, we've been talking about that but hopefully it helps you to be able to have a mindset you know where maybe you're thinking about that a little differently and how critical assessments are and surveys you know when you get in there and what you're trying to find um, and, and it just opens your mind you know to the things that you maybe 
didn't think about, but just trying to create some awareness. Some of the things that we said we weren't going to cover, that doesn't mean we can't get a C2 on it, right, and maintain them. We're just not going to put a full coverage on it, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean we have to walk away or, or, yeah. or leave that out. Maybe oh, you got to call. It's just that we're like gonna, the VRF stuff. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still helping. Yeah. We're, we're going to share some risk in that. Not full coverage, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to assume all the risk of it. We're going to share some risk of it. We're going to cover these parts, but in the event something like this happens, that's going to be a... Uh, would you do? Would you write up two separate proposal builder no. contracts, no. or you just have it in the it's, special service spelled page? out in the provisions page? What's what's a G? What's a C in your total price? Yeah, and repair replacement work. labor of failure parts on the cooling tower is excluded from this agreement. VAV boxes are going to be serviced annually under this agreement. One um, filters. HEPA filters, replacing HEPA filters is excluded from this agreement. If there's different filtration, we got to spell it out. If midstream filters are only done twice a year, midstream filters are only replaced semi-annually under this agreement. It just has to be spelled out. Because if it's not spelled out, we eat it. Yep. You can't just put we do filters. I, I, that's what I was pulling up to show you is I put, always put, you know, we'll, quarterly or whatever yeah. monthly or quarterly is going to be two inch plated filters and or yep. smaller and anything or in the four inch to, to box filters or HEPAs are not are not covered under the screen or whatever yeah and you also see and that brings up a good point when you're doing your assessment especially in some of these you know outdoor air systems a lot of times there is a two inch filter and a four inch filter okay the two inch filters are kind of the pre-filters the four inch filters are kind of midstream filters and not always do those four inch filters have to be replaced as frequently as the two inch filters. So you ask the question, what are, you cur how, what are your currently intervals and you're changing your filter? Because that's a lot of material costs. If we just assume we're gonna do it four times a year and we price it out to be four times a year, that can, that can add a lot of cost to the agreement. If they're using you know, MERV 13s, you know, it says inside a filter, MERV 8, MERV 13, uh, MERV 16s, whatever, whatever else, we gotta spell that out. Take a picture of it and ask, is this type of filter really required in this unit? That's where you need to understand what the MERV ratings are for, right? Because they may be using, because of COVID, people thought MERV 13 filters were better. They were not, they're no different than a MERV 8 and catching any. As yeah. far as that's concerned. So if they changed it because of COVID-related stuff, the MERV 13 doesn't do anything different than the MERV 8 on the, for, for COVID. Yeah. Yep. But because the CDC at one said this MERV 13 filters. Mm -hmm. And when you're with there, the maintenance guy, ask him right then and there. Hey, I've noticed some of you got this filtration, this area, this area you got this filtration. Why is that? Right, because their current provider doesn't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen a lot of cases when it's there's supposed to be a four inch filter and there's two two inch filters in there. Mm. That's not good. And sometimes you need two two inch filters, so there's a reason why you would use two two inch filters. Find out what that is. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I'm saying. That if, if that's the case, then ask right. questions to find out why that is. Yeah, sometimes you need two two-inch filters. Like I know on the Thermatech units, they come with two two-inch filters. And there's, a, there, there's rationale behind that. Mm -hmm. 
you put a four inch filter in there, it's not going to filter the way it's supposed to. Because it's slightly staggered. So you gotta you gotta know that you gotta understand it. Hopefully what this does is it helps you to think about surveys differently, maybe than what you were thinking about them before, but also taking all that information and trying to figure out how that improves the business case, you know, that I've got, you know, and, and why that's important, you know, to be in front of the business managers. That's, all of this connects. And, you know, Kent said from the very beginning, you know, the purpose of, one of the purposes of this is to, to make things connect so it makes more sense when you're out there and what you're seeing and then how that figures back into the building and what the impacts are financially, uh, you know, ultimately. And then when you're making the business case, so man, 